Thanks so much, you guys. Ah, it is such a joy to get to be with you this morning. All right. Get myself set up here. All right. Uh, why don't we start with prayer, right? Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to receive. Lord, we open our hearts, our minds to you. We want all that you have for us. We pray, Lord Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come speak in only those ways that you can to apply your word to our lives. We're hungry for you, Lord. We're so thankful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, uh, these last several weeks, if you've been with us, we've been in the midst of a sermon series entitled Life As It Should Be. Pastor Chris has been taking us on a deep dive through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be continuing that series today by looking at the next passage uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. And uh, to begin, we're going to start with just the first five verses, verses 38 to 42, where Jesus says this. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, this is one of those passages that kind of sounds good, right? It might also, though, feel a little confusing. It sounds good because it sounds altruistic and like it's telling us to take the high road and be kind and generous. And at the same time, it might feel a bit confusing or even anxiety-provoking because we might wonder when Jesus says, do not resist an evil person, what does he mean? Like, never? You know, like, I mean, it, it can kind of raise anxiety because it could feel like we're saying we're just going to allow anything to come at us and cross all our boundaries. And so right out of the gate this morning, I want to begin by reassuring you that Jesus is not in this passage telling us to become doormats, okay, and to let anything go. Because what we see in Scripture is that Jesus himself overturns the tables of the money changers and drives them out of the temple court. He often doesn't do what people expect or want him to do. The disciples come to him and say, everyone's looking for you, they want to talk to you. He's like, yeah, we're going to go on to the next town. So that's what God's saying to do. Or they say, we want to make you king. He's like, yeah, that's really not God's plan for me. And he manages to offend enough people in power that they are so threatened, they, they, they decide they need to crucify him to eliminate this threat. I don't know about you, but doormats are not usually that threatening, right? So, like, thank goodness, phew, you know, Jesus is not telling us, hey, what should happen is you should just go along with anything anybody else wants, because that is not how Jesus lived. He said, I do what my Father is doing, right? And we know that everything Jesus taught, he embodied, he lived out in full, okay? So, based on his example in Scripture, we know, all right? So, if... Again, phew, he's not saying to be a doormat. Then, what is it that he's saying as we look at this passage? Well, as I've been studying in preparation for the sermon this morning, we've been reading a number of commentaries, all of them sort of point to the same thing, which is that the Greek verb antisenai, commonly translated as resist, must be understood in context, as all of Scripture should be understood in context, and must be understood, therefore, as do not retaliate, do not retaliate. Now, why do these commentaries kind of arrive at this conclusion, these thoughtful people who have studied at Scripture in depth? 
Well, I would propose to you, you know, that Jesus' statement, do not resist an evil person, is only the second half of a complete thought, right? So probably the first half matters to understanding the thought. The first half is, you've heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. This phrase, what Jesus is quoting here, you've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, is referring to the Old Testament principle, the law of retaliation. The law of retaliation. It is uh, referenced a few times in the Old Testament, including Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. And the law of retaliation was created to help move God's people toward justice. Now, I think in the modern day when we read this scripture, we can be uh, tempted to think that it's kind of in the spirit of retaliation, like, hey, someone knocked out your tooth, go knock out their tooth. But that is not the spirit, okay? That's not the spirit of this law. But rather, this law was instituted to put a limit on violence, to say that, you know, in, back in the day, if someone harmed you, your instinct was, well, I'm going to harm you. What, do you harm my family member? We're going to go after you. And then they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to go after you. You can see how this could spiral into a lot of violence and just horrible blood feuds. And so this law was put into place to create a foundation and move God's people towards justice okay, by limiting punishment and specifying punishment and saying, hey, the most you can expect is a one-for-one -one compensation for anything that happens. And it's taking the consequences for wrongdoing out of the realm of personal vendettas. Now, Jesus is taking the heart of this law, okay, the spirit of this law, and he's saying, hey, guys, this is really, you know, setting a foundation for justice, and this is a good beginning. It's a good minimum bar to begin to move us towards God's heart, which is really that we would not have any heart of retaliation, of wanting to offer harm to someone because they harmed us at all, even against someone who is actually evil, who's actively harming us, that we would never be people who would return evil for evil, but as God's people, we would return good for evil. And Jesus then takes us even deeper in what he says next. He says this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. He says, You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends his rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, when we read this passage, I'd say we're probably generally here a pro-love crowd, right? No one's anti-love. Yeah, love, of course, more love, that's good. But what we see in this passage and the one just preceding it is that Jesus unpacks what it looks like when the rubber meets the road, okay, just to jolt us out of any possible complacency. Okay. Now, I think we'll all freely admit okay, that it probably would be hard to love our enemies, kind of by definition. We might not like to think of even having enemies, but if we were to have any, by definition, they'd be out to get us, you know, unjust, you know, trying to destroy us. And in the face of that, our natural reaction is either to lash back out at them and attack back, or at least to put up our defenses, right? And create distance, you know, uh, put up a wall and, and try to hold on to our own and protect ourselves. And in that space, 
we can tend to think, gosh, if I didn't lose it in this space, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I have a friend who, uh, who's Christian, and he uh, once told me this story about how he would get into these fights with his brother, verbal, sometimes you know, physical altercations. And his brother, I think at the time, I think maybe wasn't Christian based on this story. But uh, okay, so there was a time they were, they were fighting, and his brother was needling him, was trying to like taunt him and get under his skin in the way that family can especially be good at doing, right? And so his brother, they're fighting, his brother smacks him on the face as hard as he can and then says, you can't hit back. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. My friends are like, <sighs> you know, like, like, so what's to hit back? But he doesn't, he doesn't. And later on, after they all calm down, like, the brother's like, wow, I was actually kind of impressed that you did. I thought you were still gonna hit me, you know? And I, to be honest, as I was hearing the story, I was pretty impressed, you know, because that is not easy to do. That takes a lot of self-restraint, right? Give credit where it's due. And at the same time, Jesus, oh, Jesus, he's so extreme. You know, he takes us so far beyond self-restraint all the way out there to generous, intentional, self-sacrificial love, love, right? Jesus gives examples of what it looks like to move away from any hint of retaliation towards its opposite end, towards generosity and active love. And the examples he gives are not meant to hem us in as if just these few things are what we do, but rather the examples he gives are meant to be, uh, to show us the lengths we should be willing to go to, to flee from even a hint of hardening in our hearts, of beginning to act out of resentment or anger instead of out of love. And so here's what he says. He says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, now if the other person was right-handed, that would have been like a backhanded slap. In that day, in that culture, this was considered so insulting that under both uh, Roman and Jewish law, it was prosecutable. So it's like something that all of society has agreed, this is not okay. And yet Jesus is saying, turn the other cheek. He's saying, if they sue you for your shirt, give your coat as well. Now your coat would have been your outer garment, your last garment of clothing. It would have left you naked. So the courts actually would never have allowed this because there's an understanding this is your last piece of clothing. And yet Jesus is saying that's what you would do. You would be willing to even give your coat. He's saying if someone forces you to walk one mile. Now in that day, the Roman soldiers were allowed to simply interrupt someone's day and say, hey you, you have to walk with me now, share my load. It was just the law. They were allowed to do that. Of course people found this very onerous. And Jesus is saying, you got to walk, yeah, not just one, walk two. Be willing to do that. Give to those who ask of you. Do not turn away those who seek to borrow from you. Why? Why? To ensure, to flee, to go in the opposite extreme direction of the temptation to be bitter, to act out of spite, and to just want to get our due and see others punished for what they do wrong. We're actively working to get away from any hardening of our heart that would cause us to begin to no longer see the humanity of the other person, right? Because that's what happens. And this is so relevant for us today, right? For right now, because there's nothing like social media. I'm not a social media buff, but like Instagram, Facebook, whatever it might be, wherever you post online to turn the other person, there's something about the internet that turns the people on the other end into bits. It's like they're not people anymore. 
They're as inanimate as our computer. You know, if we disagree with the thoughts that are there, we attack so freely, not thinking to ourselves, it's okay we disagree with the thought, but like maybe this person has a history, a set of stories of their own, why they got to where they're at that we might be curious about. And the internet just removes that, right? Or think about uh, the news, cable news of all political ilks, right? <laughs> Begins with outrage <laughs> and then fans that flame so that anger and, and being incensed can be what motivates us to action. And this is just in the air. We just breathe it every day. And if we're not careful, it's just so hard to not allow that to kind of begin to, to form us rather than disciplining ourselves to still see the full humanity in the image of God in the people we disagree with the most. Right? Because it's human nature, right? When people hurt us, we're so tempted to hurt them in response. And this is not limited, okay, just to strangers and the internet and politics, but it's in our own homes. Right? With the people that we're the closest with, think about a marital conflict, or maybe you have conflict with your roommate. And, and um, in that conflict, someone says something cutting. And the other person's like, oh, that really hurt. And they say some, a zinger back. And then the other person's like, zinger. And before you know it, it's like the gloves have come off. <laughs> I'm just going at it. Half an hour in, you survey the carnage of our words. And you're thinking like, what have we done? What have we How are we going to heal from the violence we've done to one another? This person I love who loves me. Or maybe at our place of work, right? A colleague gets anxious. They throw us under the bus to save their own skin. We get so mad. And afterwards, we're like bitter, like spreading a little gossip about, well, they really, right? Without thinking, we do these things. Our hearts harden so quickly. It's amazing, shockingly quickly, how the callousness of others creates callousness in us back towards them. That's the natural human cycle, right? Hate begets hate, violence begets violence, on and on it goes. No real justice can come from this because as we learned in kindergarten, two wrongs do not make a right. Someone has to choose to be the bigger person, to be the first one to make a move toward undeserved generosity. And it is so hard to be that person. But that is what Jesus is calling us to be, to be his agents everywhere we go in the world. Can you imagine if everywhere a Christian, a Christian, Christ follower, everywhere a Christ follower was in the world, in, at work, in the home, in our cars, wherever it might be, that where there's that cycle of harm beginning, harm beginning, bitterness beginning, anger, that when it ran up against a Christian, it would just hit a brick wall. It would stop because we are that committed. No matter what, we will return good. Even if evil's coming at us, we are committed to returning good for evil. Not evil for evil, not even neutrality for evil. That that's, can you imagine if that's what we were known for? Maybe even the cycle starts to move the other way. Have you ever watched uh, like a, a superhero movie and sometimes the villain has no backstory. They're just plain, simple evil. Selfish, want to destroy the world, kill all the people, especially kill the superheroes, they keep getting in their way. Sometimes towards the end of the movie, the villain gets in trouble and they're like, superheroes, save me, you know, at great risk to themselves. I will confess, at those moments in the movie, I'm like, no, don't do it. You know, it's not worth it. He's just going to try to kill you as soon as you save them and everyone else. Don't do it, you know. Save the children. Yes, of course, save the children, right? Save the innocent bystanders. Save your teammates who are fighting for good. 
But seriously, you're gonna run back into the factory when it's about to explode to save the villain? Like, and that's when I realized, guys, I am a sinner. I'm a sinner, you know, maybe I'm not alone in this, right? It's like something about media that like there are fewer filters. We realize the depths of our heart, maybe, what's really in there a bit more. I realize, maybe we realize, we feel like we can judge. We actually value some lives more than others. And that's a horrible thing to realize, actually. That's, that's very, like, I, I don't even have words. It's, it's, that's kind of dark, you know? And we like to think of ourselves as, as loving and generous people. But Jesus calls us to so much more, right? To love and be generous to someone who does not seem to deserve it at all. Now, why is it important for us to move towards this? Some of it might seem almost self-explanatory. I mean, but what we've just talked about, about stopping that cycle of violence and maybe even moving it the other direction. And certainly, you know, I think as we study this passage, there are commentators who look at it and the examples Jesus gives, he, they actually take it as like a form of like positive resistance that could really transform the world so that, you know, if you were slapped and you turned the other cheek, it would be so jarring, so shocking that it just might jar the other person to saying, what am I doing? Like you're behaving with more dignity and restraint and kindness to me, and I'm, I'm, I, I maybe should reconsider my ways. I'm doing something foolish. Or that, again, if you were to you know, give your cloak and you're naked, it kind of exposes the greed of the other person or the injustice or might make them think twice, at least recognize your humanity. And so there's a real chance that just as hate begets gate, you know, love begets love. And so there's a real chance that there might be change certainly more than if we return evil, right, for evil. And this is important because God describes himself as a God of justice. He cares about the way our actions impact others. So this matters. And, and, Jesus takes us another level deeper. Okay? He takes us even deeper as why he's having us look at this. Because we see in this passage, he does not talk about the reaction of the other person. He does not talk about how the world responds. He just says, no matter what, this is what we are to do within ourselves. Because in the Sermon on the Mount and in the passages we're studying today, Jesus is laser focused, not so much on the outside world, but on the inner world of his disciples. What is it that we need to do, need to change? Our characters, our hearts, how we're meant to be formed. And he really focuses in on this when it comes to our encounters with evil because when we encounter evil, it is rarely a neutral experience for our souls. Right? When we encounter evil, it is rarely a neutral experience for our souls. And the danger is that we will not only be outwardly impacted, slapped, our clothing taken, but we'll be inwardly transformed by the evil. Hardened, calloused for a moment, or perhaps it lingers. We know how easy it is for that crustiness to begin to build in our heart, those little pebbles that turn into rocks in our hearts, those hard places. If we're not very intentional about emptying out those stones, softening our hearts. And so Jesus is saying, we must do everything in our power to fight against that because to allow the hatefulness and callousness of someone else toward us to fill us 
with hatefulness, with callousness back towards them is to allow a far greater harm to come to us than being punched in the face or stolen from because now we are allowing them to form us and really to deform us to deform our heart, our character, to make us into a different image, their image, not who we are meant to be, certainly not the image of God. And so we need to fight with everything in us, including walking the extra mile, turning the other cheek, whatever we need to do to counteract that spirit of retaliation, of bitterness, that hardening of our hearts that comes so naturally, and decide who do we want to be? Who do you want to be? Do you want to be people of love? I believe we all want that. Then we have to fight for it when it's the hardest to do with the person. It's hardest to love and not allow the brokenness of this world to change us from being the loving people we were created to be, we desire and aspire to be. Because when when we're being attacked, when we're being hurt, rarely is our instinct to think about what we need to change. We're just trying to survive the moment, defend, and, and keep ourselves maybe from counterattacking. We're thinking about the million things the other person should be doing differently. But Jesus is telling us change starts within us, with our commitment to recognize the humanity of the other person, that God created them and loves them, and to love them despite anything, everything they're doing to us or to the world. So what I want to do now is actually just pause for a moment and enter into a moment of prayer, and then we're going to, right here in the middle of the sermon, we're actually going to continue. I want to unpack a bit more after. I think there's a couple more things that are important to look at, but I would be so remiss to talk about this and not give an opportunity for the Lord to speak to us more personally about it. So what I want to do is um, invite us all to enter in now Uh, You can close your eyes and just in the quietness of our hearts to center ourselves in the Lord. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you love us. You save us from the greatest ills, the, the most harmful impacts of evil. And I want to invite us now to um, invite the Holy Spirit to bring to mind who is an enemy or just someone who it's hard to love or we feel a bit of that hardening of our hearts. Someone might come to mind right away or if it's a little fuzzy, kind of just run with it. We're trusting the Holy Spirit's bringing to mind. Maybe it's someone who's hurt you and they're not sorry or it could even be a group of people, the way the news is. But who do you feel, the Holy Spirit tapping you, your heart's hardening a bit here? And let's lift them up to the Lord, whoever they are, and just tell God, God, I just confess before you this morning, it is hard to love so-and-so, that group of people. then I want to invite us to receive God's compassion and grace. He knows 
everything, the God of the universe, and he completely understands why it is so hard to love that person. And he does not judge. So God, thank you for your grace. Just receive, receive God's love, receive his compassion in that place. And now I want to invite us to pray for that person in the quietness of our hearts. Scripture we read this morning says, pray for those who persecute you. Just offer whatever prayers you can, even if it's, Lord, I release this person to you, or Lord, would you meet them where they're at? I choose to pray for their good not curse them. Come, Lord. And now let's um, consider for a moment or ask God, what would it look like to bless this person, this people, in some way, to be generous toward them in some way. Is there something we might be able to do or pray or say, write, whatever it might be? Let's give opportunity. Lord, how could we move toward this incredibly generous love? What can we do? What might you be prompting for us specifically? Does anything come to mind? Holy Spirit, come. Soften our hearts. Remove our reservations. Help us to hear you and say yes. Let's pray together. Jesus, you see the situations that we've been raising up. I just really sense your presence here with us and the earnestness, the the vulnerability of our hearts before you. Thank you that you do not judge us, that you love us. Thank you that you empower us for what is so impossible for us to do. You know we cannot love out of our own strength the way you love. Lord, would you in us enable and empower us? Lord, we say... We choose to pray for the good of this person, of these people, and not to curse. Would you empower and enable us to love like you love and to do whatever you might be prompting us to do, to act in that act of generosity, that undeserved grace towards these other people? It's only through you, Lord Jesus, that this could be possible in us, that this could be how we live, but we desire it, Lord, and we pray, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Oh, we need you, Lord. Thank you that you supply the grace, you supply the empowerment. We depend on you. We love you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Oh. For some of you, maybe a person or some people came up very immediately. For some of you, maybe um, it was a little fuzzier, and so that's fine, you know. For all of us, at some point, someone will hurt us. <laughs> it's just this broken world, right? And I hope that when that happens, we can drink deep. We can come back to these passages, come back to God's Word, root ourselves in it, come back and think back on this time of prayer, return to it, pray in like fashion again over whatever that situation may be, and be committed to this, to this work. Continue to pray in this way. All right? Thanks for joining in this, this time of prayer. All right, so let's return to the passage. We just have a little more to look at uh, before we wrap up today. I want to specifically look at the last verse in the, today's passage. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, where Jesus says this, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, the Sermon on the Mount continues with far more after this, but for some reason when I read this scripture, I picture Jesus like this. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Boom mic drop, you know, because like, it's such a grand statement. I mean, way to set smart goals for us, Jesus, like something really attainable and, you know, I mean, however saintly we are and however hard we try to our dying breath this side of heaven, we are none of us going to attain to the perfection, the holiness of God, our Father. So why does Jesus say this? Is he just like a heavenly tiger mom? Like, more perfect, you know. <laughs> no, no, thank God. You know? <laughs> okay, so why does, why does Jesus say this? All right, first, first, he says this because it is true, okay? Like it or not, this is the, we are not called to a lower standard. We might wish we were, but we are not, okay? This is what we're called to. So he says it because it's true. And, and at the same time, he does not say it just to burden us, to leave us struggling, suffering, trying every day. Oh, man, I need to be more perfect. No, but rather he says this knowing that he is going to go to the cross, that we need him, that we will never be able to do this on our own strength. It points us back to him, back to the gospel. And indeed, all of the law does this, right? It reveals to us who we're called to be, what we're meant to move toward actively, and the gulf, the, the grand canyon between where we're at and where we should be, that we desperately need someone else who can do what we cannot do to bridge that gap for us. We're in need of a savior. Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount to take us all the way back some weeks to the very first week on this, on this series, right? The scripture says Jesus sat down to teach his disciples the very first thing it records out of his mouth. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He starts with saying that. And then all of his teaching in the weeks that follow as we've been unpacking, right, all his teaching show us our spiritual poverty. It shows us how desperately we need Jesus. We're not just like a couple steps removed, good, nice people. We need him, and we are poor in spirit. Thank God Jesus starts. He knows exactly what he's about. He starts his sermon this way, that he would say, blessed are you when you recognize this. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow, what encouragement, what hope is in that word? 
I've been speaking lately with a spiritual director. A spiritual director is someone who is trained to kind of accompany you on your spiritual journey, help you notice what God might be doing. And we've been talking, I highly recommend it, by the way, like for everyone. If you have questions about spiritual directors, just ask me about it. But um, uh, we've been talking about how do people change? How do people change? It's so easy to feel stuck. And we've been pr talking about prayer and really just the prayer of surrender which is what we were kind of just doing right just now, that we would pray saying, God, I want to love so-and-so, or I want to want to love so-and-so, you know? And, and would you help me? I'm giving you permission, giving you permission, meaning I'm not going to say no to you, God. I'm not going to resist you, God, right? I'm saying yes to you having your way in my life. Come and do whatever you need to in me so that I would become more loving toward this person. It's actually a pretty bold prayer, right? Think about what you're praying. But that's what we can do, our part, surrender. And the Lord comes and he does what only he can do, what we cannot, to change and to form us. He loves to answer that prayer. And so we pray in the spirit of dependence on God. And as we pray in dependence on God, we also are filled increasingly with gratitude, with gratitude to God because we see how impossible it is. And yet, he has done this thing, we find it so impossible, so hard to do, he has done for us, for us. And we see that everything Jesus tells us, he lives out in full, including, if we go back to the passage on non-retaliation, everything, all the examples he gives, Jesus actually lives that out on the road to the cross. So he is slapped and insulted and spat on and, and beaten and then he's stripped of all his clothing, he's naked, he's forced to walk a road to the cross, and then he gives everything he has to us, right? For who? For a bunch of very godly, good people? No, for people jeering at him, taunting him, beating him, violent, nailing him to the cross, us, broken people. Thank God he's not a God who retaliates, right? Thank God he's not a God who, who only loves those who love him. Thank God he's not a God who, who, who treats us as we treat him, who requires that we would love him first. We'd be in big trouble. We'd be up a creek. The cross would not have happened. Not only that, but can you think about if today God treated us the way we treat him? Like we, you know, find ourselves not thinking of him very often. We ignore his commands and his way. And he did exactly that back to us, one for one. What trouble we would be in. Thank God. That is not who he is to us. It would go very badly for us, right? All right, so I want to invite the worship team up now, okay? As we wrap up, I have one last thought for us, okay? So as we pray and we recognize our dependence on God, we're filled with gratitude. Okay? We're filled with gratitude that he would be so gracious to us. Let us then try, okay? One more thought for us. Let us then try, if we can, not to get mad at God when he is abundantly gracious and generous as we so are thankful that he is towards us to someone who's been really bad to us, okay? To someone who's treated us horribly. Because you know how it is. When someone's really treated us badly and harmed us, and then we see them thriving, getting promoted, getting a raise, doing really well, what do we do? We are so tempted. We're like, God, what is happening here? Don't you care? We dare impugn God's character. 
Are you unjust? Give them what they deserve. Give us what we deserve. That's what we want to pray, right? We are so far from what Jesus says is good that we actually actively complain to God and tell him he's wrong for the exact thing that Jesus is lifting up and saying, this is not only not wrong, it is how you see and know how good God is, that he would send his reign on the good and the bad. His sun rises on the deserving and undeserving. Why? Because he is good and he will always do what is good. It does not depend on us. It does not depend on our deservingness. He is love. He will always be loving. So when we see these things happen, could we instead of complaining, move towards, recognize this is an indicator of how complete is God's loving kindness, is his goodness. It's actually a testament to his character. That's what Jesus is saying. And not only that, that would we not complain, but Jesus calls us to join God in loving, imperfect, broken people. Even at great cost, even when their actions are evil and they seem unlovable, even when they've rejected and harmed us because that's exactly what God has done for us and thank God that he did. All right, so as we summarize now, okay, and, and, and conclude, we look at the magnitude of what Jesus has called us to, to love our enemies, to not even have a hint of that bitterness, of that retaliatory spirit in our hearts. We recognize, gosh, how deeply we need the Lord, how deeply we need Him, our complete and utter dependence on Him, and we're filled with gratitude for what He has done for us, and it's in that spirit that we then pray, Toward that intentional self-sacrificial cost.